This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Throughout the world, the human heart is frequently associated with place, with land. This, in turn, is either identified with or the breeding ground for soul, which gives meaning and binds individuals into a community. Valeria Tellez interviews Nick Duffel, the author of Wounded Leaders, British Elitism and the Entitlement Illusion, a Psychohistory. Having practiced psychotherapy for 35 years, Nick Duffel is a psychohistorian committed to bridging the gap between psychological and political thinking and an honorary research associate at UCL. He is particularly interested in promoting a depth psychology perspective of issues that affect our public life very deeply, such as identity and emotions, fear and vulnerability, but about which political commentators currently lack the means to properly address. Nick contributed to humanistic psychology, current trends, future prospects, and the political self, but is best known for the making of them, the British attitude to children and the boarding school system. He lives between London and the wilds of Southwest France. Meet Nick at woundedleaders.co.uk. Here is the interview with Nick Duffel. In your own words, who is Nick Duffel? Oh, hi, Valeria. Well, um, I'm, I've had a sort of 30, 30, 35 years as a psychotherapist uh, working in clinical practice in the, in the UK. But in the, the last sort of 10 years, I've drifted more and more into the political field because uh, I don't think we can really understand our internal processes sufficiently until we have a sense of what are the external contexts that we live in and and that's become more and more important to me so so the external world the political world has actually does affect people's mental health and and politics and economics is all driven by emotion anyway so um what i'm trying to do is to move for a more psychological understanding of what's going on in politics, economics, and leadership, and also a psychohistorical understanding, which means looking back over the last few centuries, seeing how we got here, what's shaped our world, and, and what are the psychological issues that's, that have been driving us. I have lots of questions for you here, but one that comes to mind now is about mental health. How do you define mental health? Or what is to be mentally healthy? Yes. Well, uh, that's a really big question to start with, isn't it? Um, you could say that uh, everybody's trying to integrate 
their own uh, their own personal background. And of course, a uh, few of us have had perfect starts. And the more traumatic um, background you've got, the more work you've got to do to integrate it. But the psyche itself wants to integrate. It wants to learn. It wants to evolve. And in general, it will sort of um, help you. Uh, when I say you, I mean you, the, the self you identify with or your ego. It'll help you be in a place to do it at the right time. It's not always the right time. Um, and then, of course, uh, it, uh, the, we, we're not... We're not just individual cells, you know. We're 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 social animals. We're 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 sort of mammals with big brains that were adapted to live in small bands. So, so so relationships, self knowledge, and relationships are the the must have skills for being a human being. And then, of course, from all that, we've got our kind of collective that we create, uh, and and society. And that has an impact on us as well. So, so we're also trying to integrate all that, and we're trying at the same time to create better and better societies as we, you know, as we go on. And that sort of goes in fits and starts. You know, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes it feels like. Um, so, so mental health, I think is defined by being sufficiently well integrating these things and being sufficiently uh, um, well in, in, in terms of your, your relationships. And um, uh, I don't know about happiness. You know, it's in the American Constitution. I think that's a much more tricky idea. But. So when you say the psych, the psyche, yeah, I heard that word before psychologists use, of course. Do you relate that to some other people call like myself or the soul or the heart or the spirit? Is it similar well, somehow? Well, the psyche is, is a Greek word and, and it in general is taken to mean the totality of the self. So, I mean, you know, some people believe in a soul, um, Buddhists, for example, don't. And Buddhists who've got, who who sort of invented psychotherapy techniques many many years ago don't don't believe in a, in in the soul as, as as we do. They they believe that the the self uh, is finished after death and yet comes back for another round. Um, and and the, and the Christians believe there's an immortal soul that goes to heaven. But the the, the truth is, no, nobody knows what that is. But what we do know, and what what we've we've been able to understand better and better over the last say 120 years, is that the psyche, uh, the totality of the self, includes uh, who we are when we go to sleep, when when we're not conscious. Uh, includes the sort of the hopes, aspirations, and values of our of our ancestors and our neighbours uh, 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 is affecting us, um, and it also includes the fact that um, mental processes and bodily processes are they're distinct, but they're not separate. So psychology, in, in fact, really started with sort of Freud and his colleagues discovering that um, 
that relational issues and mental issues could transfer and turn up as symptoms on a physical level, or actually that some there were some physical symptoms that couldn't be solved by, by medicine and, and, and needed to be listened to so that we could re- understand them better. And then when understood, when listened to, these symptoms would be able to be spoken about and then 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 would 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 stop being a problem so the psyche in some way is 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 mysterious and some of us believe it, it's kind of it has a wisdom to it uh, and and that 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 at any one time we only kind of know a portion of ourselves and that gives us a sort of reverence for for the self i think for the psyche That resonates true. It kind of makes me think that we are talking about the same thing, but you're using different words. Even when I hear the words consciousness, awareness, the psyche, it seems to be all one in a way. It's just different, coming from different perspectives. I, I think it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery that it's difficult to talk about. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's as if we all know what we're talking about. And yet there are <laughs> <Yeah>. certain things... <laughs> Like it's very clear that consciousness operates on a different strata and at different levels, and it, and 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 it's very clear that we, you know, we've got different consciousness now than we did in the Middle Ages, although our bodies haven't changed. So it's also quite clear that consciousness is evolving and there is is evolving, and there's the the lots of specialists in this field, such as people like Ken Wilber, who spent their lifetime sort of trying to track that and 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 to look at the evolution of consciousness and 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 to see how that's going and you can see that in the political sphere so you can see you you arrive at a certain level of consciousness and then it gets a bit too much and then there's a regression and and, and that's what i think you know that's what's going on at the moment we've got this tremendous regression going on and what do you think is the purposes of that regression nick What is consciousness trying to do when it goes back like that? Well, I see so what you have. What what I see going on at the moment is that um, the last sort of five hundred years of of Western evolution have really evolved the really since the Reformation. I would say There's the 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 sort of individual self starts to become a very important new development around about the Reformation and the Renaissance. And, and we sort of move away from the collective where other Asian societies have stayed more collectively focused. And, and, and I think we're getting to the limit of the individual self, you know, the, 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 you could say the ills of America are down to the extremes of individualism, you know, and, and, and now, we're going to have to go back to a level of collectivism because things like uh, climate change, you can't solve that by individuals or even individual nations. You know, we've, we, you know, we've got these, we've got global problems now. Even, even COVID has shown us, you know, it's one world, you know, it's no good saying, oh, this Chinese virus. No, it's, 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 it's a virus appearing in human beings. And maybe it started in China, but, you know, within months, it's everywhere. And, and it's a really good lesson to us that actually we have to make a, a big shift into global consciousness now. 
and it's a bit too much for us. And and it's it, it, you know so we regress. So for example, I don't know if you've been following what's happened in in, in my own country and in Britain is that that we had this this awful sh- move away from from the from Europe called Brexit, and and when they were having that campaign, they they found that the um, they wanted to call the the, the Brexit you know, away from Europe campaign, they wanted to call it something, they thought they might call it global Britain, but they found voters didn't want to know about global. That was a word they didn't want. So that's evidence to me that we're sort of, that that, that we can't quite integrate that at, at, at the levels of, of popular vote. That's just too much for us to think about global. Just like... Trump sort of scored by saying America first. Let's go back to old nationalism. But, you know, American society is very young in human history. But so are the European nations, really, in terms of the the nation state. You know, it it wasn't until the mid-19th century that Germany became a nation state, for example. This is quite new on the block for the psyche. But already it's saying, hey, we've got to think a bit a bit further now into into global consciousness. So when you have a big a big change, we all know it in our own lives. It's a big change we have to move. You know, we regress first. Have you seen that in history? Do we have that actually recorded um, in history that that happened? Oh yes, yes. Well, well, one of the things that happened at, at the at the turn of of, of the, the the 19th century um, was the when um, industrial farm equipment started to come in, and 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 the, the the peasants in England started to destroy them because, of course, they thought it would take away their livelihood, which it did. Uh, but actually, it was it was just so new. And similarly, when the printing press came in, there were places where books were burnt, you know, because it was just so new and so weird. And and um, it's, you know, it's, um, I mean, I, I don't know what you, can you imagine what it was like if you go way back when, when, when some, when they, when the, the first farmers were around, I mean, maybe the hunter gatherers, you know, thought they were, they were, they were like devils. I don't know. You know, so this all, we ter- the uncertainty is just very difficult for us. Basically, if we can make it simple, it's uh, rejecting the unknown or pushing away the unknown. Yeah, that's right. And pushing back towards the known. So this, you know, it's like America first. I mean, it's idiotic uh, at a at, at level of global consciousness. It's it, because, you know, it, it, the, but it appeals to people who are afraid. Talk to me for a moment about your vision for leadership. Like, how do you envision new leaders with this a new understanding of what life is, going back to collective, global uh, communities? Talk to me for a moment about that. What true leadership looks like to you? Yes, well, the the um, I think we have to look at... Uh, the kind of leadership that we've got at the moment, how we've been educating it and for it, and how that is unsuitable for what's happening to us as a species at the moment. As I said just earlier, we have got to have much, much broader thinking. 
We've got to have much more long-term thinking. We've got to be, you know, how do we plan in to get, you know, how do we actually get to something like zero emissions, for example? Uh, and how do we do that without just being sort of punitive? And how do we get people to see that that's in their best interests? So what it means is you've got to have leaders who are able to speak and relate to all different people at all different levels of consciousness. Now, I think that's, that's, it's possible and it's important. And, but at the moment we're in a situation everywhere in the world where we've got a lot of polarization. So if you look, let's take, for example, the Greta Thunberg situation, the great Greta Thunberg. So Greta Thunberg comes in as a 16, 15, 16 year old child. And there's one part of her message where she puts everyone to shame. And she says, you bad grownups haven't been looking after the planet very well. Now, she's not wrong about that. But if you look at that in a, in a psychological way, in a psychodynamic way, this sets up a polarization between good, innocent children and bad parents. Yeah. And I know I worked for years in the clinic with these kind of dynamics. And what I know from this is that you have to move people away from that because it's a very uncreative situation in the, in the mind, in the brain even, this kind of polarized good-bad. You are not going to get very creative solutions come out of that sort of polarized worldview. So it's okay as a, as a, as a wake-up for consciousness saying, come on, let's think about the plan. That's okay. But actually, it's, it, it's not going to get us very far. Um, you've got to, in a way, you've got to get a bit more of a sort of Elon Musk in your brain and, and get more smart solutions for the future. And, and that is not going to come from the wounded child or the needy child archetype. That comes much more from the innocent creative child archetype. Yeah. So that's one situation. So where where you have sort of sort of left-wing leaders going down a very polarized view. Um, I mean, you, you don't get this particularly from someone like, you know, someone, uh, so, a mature person like Chomsky, for example, who sees a much more global picture. But, and then equally, you've got um, world leaders who we've trained over, I would say, since about 1800, we've been training our elite to dissociate. So what do I mean by that? Well, so the, the thing about dissociation is, is that if you've, you've shut down or compartmentalized parts of your mind and see only one thing, but particularly a short-term good, you cannot then take in a larger global picture, a long-term good. It's a bit like, you know, with nuclear power. 
we add up the costs of nuclear power, but we don't add in the costs of decommissioning nuclear power stations. That's They call that an externality in economics, but actually it's been dissociated from in the whole picture. It's been split off. So, and we started to train people to do that. And that's just really how I got into looking at this. I've made a study of what was going on in the, in the British boarding school system. And, and you've got versions of that still going on in America, just, just like the one Trump went to, a military academy, where you, you take children, male children away from their families and make them not miss their family and subject them to various sort of hazing rituals and things like this. And, and then you get them to dissociate from all their vulnerable feelings. And they think only about strength and survival. And then they they're training their brains to compartmentalize. And if you if you if you've got a child and you do that five six seven, eight nine ten years, you can become actually quite perfected at that skill. So that that means several things. This was done very very strongly in the nineteenth century, particularly after after the French Revolution, which scared the hell out of the British. Yeah, that the status quo could be so overturned by the people. So then you get people practicing a level of dissociation, which is very useful from compartmentalization for, for, for the colonial project, because it means if I'm dissociating, I can go to Africa or North America or South America or, and, and, or Australia, and I can take the minerals out of the ground. I can put the the native people to work and treat them badly because they're not really rational human beings like like I am. They're sort of they're, they're things. They're not people. And and I don't have a conscience about that because I've dissociated from all anything to do with vulnerability and emotion. And and I think you know that's that's I leave that to the women. You know, women and the women are never going to be good leaders because they're far too emotional and they haven't learned to dissociate. Yeah. And so the whole 19th century was run on that level of dissociation. If you looked at what happened with the states, you've, you know, you've got these amazing people living in near Stone Age uh, conditions on the island uh, who, when they weren't completely sort of exterminated, they were hoarded into camps or into areas and made various promises to, every single one of which was broken. And nobody had a conscience about that because they weren't white rational men, they were savages. So dissociation permitted all this thing to happen and then you've got this tremendous progress coming out of that because all that counts is achieving and results and you know and 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 so you've got this whole this madness of colonialism very successful very very successful exploiting the earth without thinking about uh whether you could ever put anything back you know and you know so and that then sort of in the middle of the 20th century starts to morph into global capitalism 
but you know the, the, the British Empire went went away, but it went seamlessly into into predatory capitalism, and and, and the U.S. took over as 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 the sort of world leader then. But it it's run on the same kind of attitudes, and so now we're seeing the fallout of that. You know, I mean, and we and and the British are quite proud that they were the first nation to do away with slavery in the 1820s, but they didn't need slaves anymore because they'd got machines and they enslaved their own people at home. And, and, and then they'd done a perfect marketing trick. They could actually, you know, the cotton that we, we were growing in, in, uh, in, in India and, and, in, and in America imported into Britain and then, and then exported back out to the colonies uh, superb sort of successful uh, economically, which built um, Victorian Britain and built these huge mansions that we've got in Bristol and in London and places like that. And that's all run on a dissociated mind. Wow. And and we're still training our leaders here in Britain on the same in in the same way in the same kind of schooling that was invented in in the sort of nineteenth century. So would that dissociation would that progress into would you say um, narcissism, psychopathy, or any other kinds of mental illness? Well, you could say it's psychopath psych, psychopathy, but 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 you see, psychopaths are terribly successful if you look. Um, at, I mean, no one knows much about the etiology or in other words, why, how psychopaths get formed. But what we do do know is that they are, um, someone wrote a book about psych, psychopaths recently, very interesting, said there's about 4% in the world and they are almost all in leadership positions because it's a very successful, because all this business about um, making making decisions without emotions uh, is on the one hand very successful because you don't have to deal with vulnerabilities. If you look at someone, I'm not, go, I, I, I'm not in the business of analyzing modern leaders, but what I can say is that someone like Boris Johnson is representative of a particular class who was institutionalized as a child and at a boarding school and had the first thing he had to get do away with was his feelings of homesickness. So, so basically after 10 years, he's got rid of all vulnerability in, in, in his conscious psyche, not in his, not in his whole psyche. Remember, as we told, they're all kind of bubbling underneath, but what it means is how the hell is he going to understand the vulnerable in society? It, I mean, it's just not possible. I mean, you know, how does he understand even the common people? He's never gone out to buy a pint of milk from the corner store, you know, and 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 he, he cannot understand the vulnerable, so he cannot make choices. And then we have the other information, so that so the psychopathy is is useful getting into leadership positions. But then we have the the work of neuroscience, which is like the most interesting thing going on in my professions at the moment, because it's starting to show that things that psychotherapists only thought about before can now be measured to a certain extent. You've got things like the work of uh, Antonio Damasio, who made a particular study of people who had 
um, lesions in their brain uh, where, I mean, there's one great story about this guy uh, who was working in the mining industry and his job was to put in the charges into the holes in the rock. They drilled into the rock and he rammed in these charges of dynamite with, with a metal stick. And one day, of course, there was an accident and this stick you know, the, uh, the, the the dynamite went off and it blew the stick right through his brains and, and, and this metal rod through his brains. And he survived, even with uh, Victorian surgery, he survived and seemed to live a perfectly normal life. On the other hand, what happened was he seemed to make a series of very, very poor decisions. And they've got his brain preserved and they saw that what he did, it was this accident cut off the emotional centers of his brain from the decision-making centers of the brain. And so what, what we know is that if you haven't got emotional intelligence, you cannot make good decisions. And we know that now. And, and, and so having your emotions is not just about being touchy-feely. If you're going to make good decisions, good choices as a leader, you've got to be you know, this is one of the things that the, the, the modern leader has got to be emotionally intelligent, you know. And, and, you know, this is what Angela Merkel is. This is, you know, this is what um, Barack Obama was, God bless him. But, he, you know, he didn't have the, he didn't have the chance to actually you know, make anything work, given the polarized situation you had in the Congress there. But so you have certain leaders who who are emotionally intelligent, and and uh, quite a lot of female le leaders in politics seem to have this emotional intelligence. Uh, I'm not saying women are better at it, but necessarily. But but certainly, and then you've got an, a lot of these macho leaders who clearly haven't got emotional intelligence, like you, like your Boris, like your Trump, like your Bolsonaro, but are popular. With the uh, with the working classes because they're all afraid of the big changes to come and they think the best thing that's afraid is a big strong man, yeah. So they're going to be making bad decisions and look what happened. Trump's made awful decisions. Yeah? So, so I mean that's why you actually need that emotional. You need to be in touch with your emotions and. And in order to make good decisions, you may need to have a sense of what's happening in the future. You need to understand vulnerability. You need to, in a way, know that life is a balance between power and vulnerability, and, and never more so for a leader. You have to really be holding those two things in your hand very, very, you know, very sensitively. I mean, you could say that's what in those scales of justice actually it's power and vulnerability we're trying to balance all the time uh, at an advanced level as human beings. You spoke of success, this model, uh, the old model or the current one of success. For you, what is to be successful? Well, I think to be successful is that you that you are relaxed enough with being with being vulnerable. For for example, you know, I I really liked. What happened about a week ago that Angela Merkel promised something for Issa and then the following day she took it back and she said, look, I made a mistake. Can you forgive me? You know, I thought that was great. Uh, 
So being relaxed enough to admit you made a mistake or you're going to try something different, that means you've got a bit of a balance for power and vulnerability. Uh, it, 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 it also, of course, it means you've got to be able to say no. Uh, a, a lot of us, you know, especially if we're sensitive people, you know, we have a tendency to be people pleasers. And, and, and really, you have to you have to have mastered that a bit in your psyche. Because it's it's easy it's easy to get up quite a high way in 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 some leadership positions with with people pleasing skills, but it doesn't take you the whole way. So you've got you you've got to be you've got to have a yes, you've got to have a no. Um, I think you've got to have good historical knowledge. You've got to know where you've we've been coming from. I mean, we, no one can predict the future, can you? You've got to be comfortable a little bit with uncertainty. I mean, I'm not saying I would want those sort of the big top jobs in leadership, like being a president or a prime minister, you know, you've got to be very good with dealing with stress. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, yeah. you, you got to know when to take a deep breath, haven't you? And, <laughs> yeah. True. And, and you've got to be able to man manage your <laughs> own stress without dumping your stress on other mm, people. Right. Which, right. I mean, God, I mean, I've done that enough in my life, you know, <laughs> Tell me about it, yeah. <laughs> dumped it on other people when I found my own stress. So, you yeah. know, getting to manage that, that's a real skill, I think, for leaders. leaders. Yeah. It goes back to self-knowledge. I really love what you said earlier, yeah, self-knowledge in relationships. So once we have learned about ourselves, understand who we are and how we function in the world, then it's easier to connect with others. Well, I think it's also very important for people in the kind of new agey world to realize that self-knowledge is not enough, you know, and inner healing is not enough. We've got to be we've got to be skilled at relationship and, you know, we've got to be present in relationship because we're, we're social animals and we're social, not just our own small circle of relationships or intimate relationships. And then then it has to be wider because, you know, it's it, it, it's it's. It's not a one-person world, and I think sometimes that you know you get the impression from the sort of new age world that it's all about the self, and and, and yeah. I, I think that's mistaken. Inner healing or inner peace, when we talk, we talk a lot about uh, in this podcast about that. That leads actually to make peace with others and relationships to uh, navigate better this world of relationships by feeling well and confident within and at peace. Then it's easy to embody or to express myself in the world in such a better way <laughs> because I don't think we can really come from a place of knowledge from the outside uh, or understanding uh, psychological intellectual understanding and then trying to replicate that in real life in relationships it's, it's really it's much deeper than that from my experience but then this is another conversation I would say <laughs> going <laughs> so uh, we're almost at the end and I do have a few more questions for you, Nick. So you wrote the book, Wounded Leaders, British Athleticism and the Entitlement Illusion, A Psychohistory. Talk to me for a moment about the, the intention of your work. What was the initial intention of writing well, this book? Well, I wanted, actually, I started writing this in 2008. And nine, 2010, I was seeing this election going on in Britain where we first swung back to the right and elected David Cameron. And I was saying, I was trying to say, hey, wait a minute, I've been studying people who had this kind of training and I don't 
actually think we should be electing them anymore. I think we should be electing much more uh, uh, people who are much more psychologically available than these guys. And, you know, and I saw as sort of go back to a more kind of sort of British Empire style of, of cabinet and government. And so I wanted to, I wanted to explain how how I saw that these people were were, were very uh, monolithic leaders, and and we deserve better. And I always wanted to, to try to explain what I call the entitlement illusion, why why the British people seem to think that they're better off being ruled by the upper classes rather than by people who've coming up come up with from a real meritocracy, because. Britain has never really created a social democracy unlike our European neighbors, you know, and nor has the states. And and um, I see that as, as really lagging quite behind. So I wanted to explore that phenomenon. And then I wanted to think, why are these guys so entitled and, and, and also? And why do we think we should be voting for them? And I the, so I had to also shed a sort of compassionate light on them. And I thought to myself that the entitlement attitude you see in some of these guys, actually, uh, when you really look deeply into it, that it, I could only understand it, that it was a compensation for tremendous loss, loss of sort of childhood, loss of naturalness, not loss of spontaneity, loss of Loss of loss of the natural child, actually, yeah. and and so I I wanted to not just look with one eye and condemn, but look right. with a sort of bifocal vision and try to understand. Right. You say we humans need our hearts to relate, feeling, empathy, and embodying values all evolve the heart. And then you also say relationships are fundamental to human life and skill in relationships must rank as one of the highest achievements for a human being. Yes. And, and you know, just add very quickly that, that in the new, uh, the new neuroscience is actually shows that if you've been trained in a very hyper-rational kind of left-brained way, you, you actually stop sending messages down the vagus nerve from the brain to the heart. So you, you cut out a whole channel of information. And, and you can be very clever and very well educated, but it, you actually stop using the heart and you stop reading facial signals as well. So, so we, we're starting to get a, you know, we're starting to get a really full picture of, of of human beings now, and we've got to, you know, hopefully we we, we, we want to uh, take that into account when we go into the ballot box next time. <laughs> yeah, true. Very important message, advice for all of us. So I have these ending questions, but before I ask you them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Uh, I have not got anything out to read. What I would like to say, if people are interested in um, interested in, in the idea of, of global psychologically informed politics. My last book was called The Simple Solution. And there's a website called simple.org where you can find about that and, 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 and join up and see how you can use your votes in a more creative way, because that's one of the ways I'm 
I'm I, I'm hoping to influence things at the moment. Uh, and and just the other thing I'd like to say, and should I say it now for American yes. readers about yes. buying the books? Yeah. Yes. If you want to buy any of my books, oh well, the simple solution you can get on on, on Amazon.com because it's also published in the states by Prometheus. But Wounded Leaders and the Making of Them, my first book, you you best to go to Amazon.co.uk because it's going to be a lot cheaper there because Amazon they Amazon.com imports them and resells them, but they're it's all published in the UK, so it's a lot cheaper to get it from there. Wonderful! I'll have the link to on your podcast profile. Thank you, Nick. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Oh, the human experience is yeah. Well, I, what I think at the moment is is that that we're supposed to mature, and that maturing means that we 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 learn self regulation, and 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 we do that at all levels, individual, relational, and collective level, and and so that we are now. And when we learn to learn to self-regulate, I think we start to. It's like we're cooperating in evolution. And then, if we, with our big brains, start cooperation, cooperating in evolution, I think it's very interesting to see where where things could go. What is your idea of the meaning of freedom? What does it mean to you to be free? Well, I think f f freedom. Um, I think, free, you know, freedom, I look at it as a very, very sort of banal thing, is that freedom, is, for me, is that when I'm approached by somebody in relationship, perhaps with a criticism or something, I'm free when, I, when, I, 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 when I'm not being defensive, when I'm, I'm saying what's true for me in a, in, in a non-defensive way. Mm -hmm. I could do that without making the other wrong. That's freedom. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? Oh, God. Well, the hardest lesson to learn <clears throat> was that I was quite like a lot of things that I was busy condemning, you know, angry man, uh, you know, entitled attitudes, um, you know, selfish, you know, stuff like that, you know, that actually all the things that irritated me so much, I had a good measure in them myself. And, and, and that was, that's hard work. You know, it's hard work. And actually, what I know is, unless you do that, you can't really integrate and, 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 and be free. But and, I, you know, that's the only thing that's good about being old. Is <laughs> you, you've done some of the work, but you know who you are now. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. otherwise, it's otherwise, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I love your authenticity, too. And two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leave in the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Um, well, I am going to die soon, you know, it's clear I'm going to die sometime in the next 25 years, probably. So I, I'm, I'm not sure I would do anything particularly different. Um, uh, no, I, I, I think I, I'm okay carrying on. I'm, uh, 
I, I think it's. A, I, 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 I'm feeling okay about that at the moment. Yeah. And my last question is: What are three things about life you know for sure? Well, I know that it's a learning curve. I know that you learn most from your knocks. Um, I know that staying curious keeps your whole psyche bubbling. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick, for your timeless wisdom, the way you share your wisdom too. It's wonderful. It's very oh, clear, very, kind. Yeah. very clear. And uh, thank you for what you do, your presence. Thank you so much. And your website again? Uh, woundedleaders.co.uk Bye for now and we'll talk soon. Thank you again. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Bye for now, Nick. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Nick Duffel and his work, please visit woundedleaders.co.uk. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.